Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry, I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think I'm a concept, or I complete them, or I'm gonna make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 131 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we slowly descend into madness as the world falls apart around us. (laughs) I am Karen Peterson, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Uh, hello. I, I, I have to say, I'm not accustomed to being, like, the, vo- the voice of, like, no, everything's gonna be okay, guys. <laughs> like, I feel like I've done that a lot in the past few months. I'm like, how am I this person? This is not me. <laughs> um, it's be because right. you're close to Canada, and when we all have to become refugees, you don't have that far to go, unlike some of us. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. like... <laughs> just just like flee to the north <laughs> just like hey so we're pretty much canadian anyways even though i like making fun of you guys uh, I mean, the handmaid's <laughs> tale is apparently a documentary so you know Writ- written by a canadian author however uh, so you know uh-huh. we have to we have to you know look at that <laughs> yep 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 i've always had my issues with that but i'm starting to see things differently uh congratulations amy coney barrett nothing's over until it's over that's all i have to say you're right you're right that's true okay uh on topics of much more fun stuff um how's your week been lauren my week has been very chill i've been spending a lot of time watching um movies from the new york film festival which has been interesting and enlightening and actually kind of uplifting like in its own way um so so that's even though some of these films are definitely covering issues that are less than happy uh but some of them are are very good reminders that shit has always gone down and (laughs) um and somehow we do we do often make progress despite it and sometimes because of it um so we'll just have to just have to wait and see but it's i've had a pretty chill week it's been very nice out which i am happy about that's good yeah it's been okay here it got kind of warm earlier in the week but today it's overcast and and cool and it's like oh it feels a little bit like fall now (laughs) so that's kind of nice um i caught the father of the bride part three-ish thing on netflix or netflix youtube did you watch that or hear about it i heard about it i have not watched it it's so cute it's like i mean it's cheesy but it's so cute and it was just kind of one of those things where it's like i really needed this just breath of fresh air and positivity and (laughs) and joy so and then it made me really want to watch the first two movies again Uh so um because it actually starts with like a little quick like re not recap but kind of like uh, montage of scenes from the first two movies with the score and everything and i was just like oh i need to watch those 
They're so good. <laughs> See, I, I felt the same way. The Great British Baking Show, or the Great British Bake Off, depending upon which country you're from, uh, came back to Netflix. And I was like, oh, thank Jesus. Like, just watching, it was just like, oh, it's pleasant British people baking things. Oh, this is so nice. Like, we're all going to be okay, guys. Everything's going to be <laughs> fine. You just got to stop and make a cake. Like, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I was trying to think if there was any news that we need to talk about this week, but I don't think there's any that we want to. So we're just going to move right into this week's uh, this week's topic, which, um, of course, we're doing, up until Halloween, we're doing uh, scary movies of different sorts. And this week, our subgenre of choice is slasher films, mm-hmm. which I think out of all the different subgenres of horror films, this is probably the one that I feel the most knowledgeable about. And it's funny, I was actually thinking about this this morning because I didn't say slasher films are my favorite type of horror movie, and I don't, I didn't feel like they are until I started like thinking through the horror movies that I tend to watch, and most of them are slasher movies. And I think that's kind of funny. I guess I, guess I like them. I guess you do, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, first of all, let's um, let's define what is a slasher film. So, Lauren, what would you say is a definition of a slasher movie? I mean, I, I think that, that a lot of slasher films, you know, kind of occupy some of those similar tropes that we, we sort of get used to. Um, so the single killer who is stalking uh, usually a group, often a group of teenagers, not always though, but like a group of people or a small town or something like that. Um, and, and stabbing them or, or, or uh, committing atrocities with some sort of phallic symbolism. Uh, yeah, that's that's my basic definition of a slasher film. I I think that you know again, so many of these subgenres, it's kind of like, well, I know it when I see it, sort of attitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, but things like Halloween or Friday the Thirteenth or um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, all of those are you know you can very much look at kind of the progression of those sorts of films, and you know where the beats are going to come. You know, you know, you can you can predict much like in the Scream films, who's going to live and who's going to die. Uh, because it's it's probably one of those one of those uh, subgenres that has the most uh, sort of easily recognizable tropes that you know you know if if a woman takes her shirt off she's definitely going to be stabbed at some point. <laughs> uh, although not always, you know there are there are actually a number of films that don't fit that that mold at all. But mm-hmm. um, but that's the basic idea of them. I think that it's one of those subgenres that is the most easily recognizable. Yeah. And actually on Twitter a couple of days ago, the question came up of movies like Alien and Jaws and if those qualify for slasher films. Yeah. And, um, or are they monster movies or are they maybe both? And I was really thinking about that. And to me, they are not the same i think there is definitely some crossover but i would say movies like alien and jaws are definitely monster movies that are not slashers because to me the difference is that monster movies usually um and of course there's always exceptions to every time you try to define something like this but monster movies are usually some form of the man versus nature conflict 
And usually it has something to do with man infringing on nature in some way, like uh, going places that they don't belong, such as an alien or, you know, just going out into the water, into jaw, into the shark space, you know, or, um, or things like because of nuclear experimentation and things like that, it causes radioactivity, which is causes either gigantic monsters or deformities and things like that. Whereas slasher movies are the man versus man conflict and tend to be about some sort of like moral doctrine type of thing, which is where you get like Randy's rules from scream where you can't have sex, you can't drink or do drugs, things like that, because it's all about purity and the virgin is the one who's going to survive those movies. And so, um, I mean, like I said, you do have some crossover, but to me, that's, that's really the difference between the two. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I think that, I think that Alien and Jaws and films like that definitely use kind of slasher tropes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I would argue more for Jaws than I would necessarily for Alien um, as, as a slasher film, partially because I think Spielberg is, is self-consciously referencing a number of slasher films. Um, and particularly, like, he's, he's referencing Psycho in the use of the, uh, uh, the music cues for the shark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but it's, it's interesting because so many slasher films do have this almost supernatural element to them, you know, and, and you get that particularly in films that have sequels. So like Halloween where, where um, uh, Michael Myers is constantly coming back, right? Mm-hmm. And he's just like, okay, he's been shot, he's been stabbed, he's been blown up, he's been this, <laughs> he's been that, and he's still coming back. And even though he's supposedly human and you know, we, we think of him as human, but even in the first film, he's talked about as though he is something else, like that, that this is not just a normal human man who is killing people. This is someone who's superhuman at some level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you kind of get that in a film like Jaws where the shark, the, the shark is, again, you can't kill it. It's too big. It's too nasty. Uh, it keeps on coming back, even when you think you've gotten rid of it. You know, even when you think he's dead, he still has one more, uh, <laughs> one more attempt on your life. Yep. Um, and, and even though, yeah, I think humans, humans kind of ignore the dangers of the shark uh, and keep on going back, even though they know that there's this, you know, killer shark that's, that's swimming around. But he, the, the whole point is also that he's kind of come into human space uh because he he usually sharks do not behave like this they don't come this close to the beach they he's actually hunting human beings for some reason um at the same time it definitely has referentiality then to something like moby dick mm-hmm. where there's there's a real almost like yeah there's a real antagonism that has developed between the humans between specific humans and the shark and and it's like but in that sense it is it is supernatural in much of the same way that someone like michael myers or uh jason is is supernatural well and it's funny because i think that as you you mentioned sequels and this is actually something else i wanted to talk about too was um with movies like friday the 13th or halloween um 
as you go into the sequels more and more, they do become more like monster movies than slasher movies to me, even though they're still slasher films. They do become more like monster movies or supernatural films because of exactly that, because the the killers are um, so hard to stop. They can be resurrected. They can, you know, all these different things can happen so that it's the same person coming back over and over again. And what's funny is that with the Jaws sequels, which, I mean, you can love them or you can hate them. I love how bad some of them are. But, um, but with the Jaws sequels, I think that they become more and more like slasher movies with each sequel because it gets to where the shark is like out to get this family. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like by the fourth movie, the shark follows mrs brody from amityville down to the bahamas or wherever (laughs) like out to get her family and so it becomes it becomes more like a slasher movie as time goes on whereas other slasher movies become more like monster movies it's kind of a weird paradox that's what that's you know it's an interesting point also just thinking about one that that is one of the tropes of slasher films that that yeah there, there's this they say this that antagonism between the killer whoever the killer is and a particular family or a particular person or even the descendants of a particular family mm-hmm. uh and and one of the things that very often inspires the sequels is is a sense of the anniversary of a killing so or even with halloween where you know michael myers comes back on halloween because that was when he committed his first murder uh and and then every subsequent sort of story plays out like that and same thing with friday the 13th um same thing with some of the you know like the 90s slashers like uh i know what you did last summer and all of those sequels um that it isn't just you know the one event that inspires the killer but the anniversary of the event that inspires the killer or that inspires copycat killers and then in a lot of the sequels there's always this question is it the same killer or is it someone else mm-hmm. um who's you know constantly returning and and they some some seem to seek to explain the supernatural element that way where it's like it's not the same person it's someone who is emulating that person right um which I think is what makes the Scream films so fun is the fact that it's always the same costume, but every single one of those movies, it's a different killer or killers. Um, yeah. And it adds to this mystery of like, oh, who is it this time? Because it's clearly not Billy and Stu because they did. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, what you mentioned Psycho. Yeah. Um, a lot of people say that this that the slasher genre started in the 70s, particularly with Black Christmas from Bob Clark um, in 1974. But what about Psycho? Do we consider Psycho to be one of the or the first slasher film? Is it a slasher film? I mean, I, it doesn't fit the same kind of tropes. It doesn't fit all of the same tropes that we tend to associate with slasher films. But <laughs> it, it does have that feature of a, a, a killer and not just a killer, a, a killer that is based in a past traumatic event, right? Um, that causes the murders essentially. And has, and we know when, when we learn sort of the backstory of what is going on in Psycho, we know that probably the killer has killed before, that, that Marion Crane is not the killer's first victim. Um, 
and and so uh, that does very much fit into uh uh, the the concept of the slasher. At the same time, I'm really hesitant to call it a slasher film just because it was its own thing when it came out. And it was definitely playing out in a similar kind of psychological, um, psychological thriller genre, even though later films definitely kind of took some of the concepts that are present in Psycho and ran with them and did and kind of developed into the slasher genre. So I would call it a proto slasher. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's my perspective. That and, um, uh, and the Michael Powell film Peeping Tom, I think are very, they're very often cited as kind of being the, the beginnings of, of slasher genre, the progenitors of the slasher genre. Yeah, I think that you definitely can trace a lot of slasher, um, not tropes, not the tropes of it, but um, the way like cinematography, the way that sound works, things like that, the building of the tension, um, the shifting POV, that kind of thing. I think you can really trace that back to Psycho and, and Peeping Tom for sure. Um I wouldn't consider Psycho necessarily a slasher film, but I think it definitely inspired um, inspired those movies just because of the way it's shot, the way that the story plays out, the way that it um, it well, one of the things that's interesting about it is how it has the sense of violent murder, but like with Marion, you never actually see the knife you know, cut her or anything like that. So it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting look, but I think that it, it inspired more than started the genre, the subgenre. Yeah. It, it also does have both, both Psycho and Peeping Tom have that kind of grittiness to them um, that I think that we do tend to associate with slasher films because a lot of slasher films are low budget, at least the mm -hmm. beginnings of, the, of slashers, you know, and part of it is because you've got, kind of fledgling independent filmmakers don't have a lot of money right. uh, being like, okay, well, we're going to film in my hometown or like in my wife's house because that's what we have access to. And even though both Psycho and Peeping Tom are much higher quality than that, in just in terms of their locations and casting and things like that, there's still a grittiness to them that feels, that it feels different. I think that a lot of um, the more sanitized, Hollywoodized films that came before, partially because these were films that were beginning, it was, it was beginning to move into the American independent cinema uh, and, and British independent cinema that, that uh, were kind of pushing the envelope and what could be shown on screen. Um, because, you know, you, you could also go back even further to some of the earlier, uh, there were, there were a lot of B films that were very popular that involved single killers, right? Stalking people and, and causing murders. And I, I read an article that cited like a number of William Castle's films, uh, The Spiral Staircase. Like there's a really uh, early pre-code film called 13 Women where it's literally sorority sisters being offed in like succession and then you and one of them trying to figure out why are all of my sorority sisters dying um and and then it kind of coming out as to who's doing the killings and and why and it's it's embedded in this past traumatic event so you could i i love chasing this stuff back because you could like just keep on going further and further back but a lot of them are b films or what we would consider to be you know 
not not the the um, A-list stars, not you know really high production values or anything like that. So that there is the sense of them being a little a little grimy, a little gross, a little lurid, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that is really fun is to go back and see people like before they were stars, some of their first movies, and it's like, oh look it's Renee uh, Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey and yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, or Tex- Leonardo DiCaprio and Ghoulies 3. <laughs> Isn't it like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 4 or something yeah, like that? Yeah. It's some like one of the really, <laughs> yeah, you know, you've got, like. you've got a low budget, you know, it's, I love it. You've got a low budget beginning <laughs> and then it just actually descends from there. <laughs> you just like, <laughs> I remember the first time I saw Friday the 13th and I was like, that's Kevin Bacon. <laughs> yeah, he dies horribly. <laughs> he does. It's awesome. And I actually still like get freaked out laying on cots, um, thinking about the <laughs> way he dies. Mm. <laughs> but but so like, what? Well, actually, I think it was actually last Halloween that I watched Friday the Thirteenth, the 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 original original Friday the Thirteenth, uh-huh. right? And not realizing that the character of Jason doesn't really figure in that much no it's not about jason at all at all yeah and i was like oh (laughs) this is kind of bad i don't know (laughs) wait so you had never seen it until last year for the first time uh it was either last year or the year before yeah it was oh wow it was one of those um i every every year around about this time I, i start trying to you know find films that are sort of classics that I haven't really seen. So I watched a whole bunch of the Hellraisers a couple uh-huh. years ago because I, I just like hadn't seen them. To be honest. <laughs> you don't like Hellraiser? I don't. I like the first one. Then I, I forget what this, what happens in the second one. There's one that I was just like, this is just like trippy. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, Hellraiser is its, its own thing, but yeah. So, so I, I was like, Oh, I'll watch, you know, I haven't, I've never seen Friday the 13th. Uh, I'll watch Friday the 13th and I did and I was like oh this like has fuck all to do with Jason (laughs) like where's Jason I'm waiting for him well and so yeah that's the thing that is so great about in the opening scene of Scream when the killer's on the phone and he's like what's your favorite scary movie and Drew Barrymore's like uh Halloween you know or whatever and he's asking her questions and one of the questions is who's the killer in Friday the 13th and she says it's Jason he's like wrong She's like, I saw that movie 10 goddamn times. <laughs> it's Jason. <laughs> and he's just like, no, it was Mrs. Voorhees. He didn't show up till the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yes, I love it. It's great. And that's the thing that's so funny is it's like people tend to forget that one of the best known killers started off actually being a woman. <laughs> Damn right. That's right. um don't mess with mom but uh but yeah that's the other thing i think that's another common trope with um just that leads me into another common trope with slasher films is you had mentioned it you know something to do with past trauma or revenge of some kind and friday the 13th is exactly that it's it's this woman who's going after camp counselors at the camp where her son died or did he but um uh but yeah we we see that with a lot of of these types of movies it's somebody coming coming after people whether they're the ones that were responsible for that past trauma or not 
that's they're kind of trying to enact some sort of revenge because of it yeah it's it's this yeah it's this reenactment almost of the mm-hmm. original trauma so um and 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 you and you do get that in psycho in something like psycho where part of the explanation it's not the whole explanation of the story but part of the explanation of the killings is is past is, is past trauma right and it's past trauma that then creates this kind of psychotic break um and and is what finally drives drives the killer insane and it's so yeah it is this sort of weird this bizarre moralistic revenge even though a lot of the time as you say you're they're not actually taking revenge on the people who caused the the trauma but kind of pushing the trauma paying it forward <laughs> push, <laughs> pushing the trauma forward to the next generation mm-hmm. um or to another or spreading it wider so so kind of causing other people to experience it because then you get in a lot of the sequels you know you have the the um the original final girl or whatever coming back who then is traumatized because of everything that she has experienced and kind of this there it pushes into this repetition of the uh the cycle of violence etc yeah yeah well and the the final girl which we talk about a lot in horror films i think most exists and is most easy to define in slasher films because that's kind of one of not necessarily the point of slasher films but that's kind of that's one of the very common tropes and when you're looking at um at them as sort of like moral stories or whatever morality tales parables however you want to classify them um that's kind of the thing is like oh well the good girl is the one that survives to the end and and lives for the sequel and um and it's it's funny um like i'm trying to think of any that don't have a final girl um, I mean, I, I don't know tons of kind of the, the far lower budgeted <laughs> slasher films. Right, yeah. There's, there's definitely a whole category that I'm just like not that accustomed to. But mm-hmm. I think that most of the big ones there is, the, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a legitimate trope. It's, the, yeah. it's not always just one person. Yeah. Because like, obviously Scream, there are three or four. At the end of the first one, there's four. But, um, but yeah, but, it's, it's a very common but the, the focus is still on Sydney. Exactly. So yeah. even even if other characters survive to the end of the film, uh, the focus it's I, I guess that what it what it ultimately becomes is that a lot of the time it becomes focalized through that particular person. So mm-hmm. to use Halloween as an example, there are other characters other than Laurie. Right. But she is the one that a lot of the film gets focalized through. It's her and to to a lesser extent, and I can't remember his name right now, the Donald Pleasance character, the doctor um so but that it's mostly about her story and the audience for the for the most part is placed in her position that's why we're scared a lot of the time because we've sort of seen what michael is doing and and then we know that she's in danger and so we're experiencing her fear as it happens uh, you get the same thing in um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I do not like. I must admit, I understand why it's so influential. I do not like that film. Yeah, I don't really either. It's too too much for me. That's my feeling <laughs> about it. Yeah, that one I, I definitely uh, have feelings about. But 
But then, yeah, you look at movies like um, Black Christmas, the original mm-hmm. Black Christmas from 1974. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of some other ones. I mean, Friday the 13th definitely had, like, literally has a final girl. Um, and uh, uh, Slumber Party Massacre has a final oh, girl. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I believe that that uh, some of those some of those smaller ones, stuff like The Hills Have Eyes, Nightmare on Elm Street, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, The Hills Have Eyes is one I was actually thinking about, and this is this is going back to defining like the difference between slasher movies and monster movies. Um, that one's an interesting one because it is definitely people that are the um, the villains, the antagonists, but they're also victims of like nuclear fallout, nuclear experimentation. So it's like, I don't know, this is kind of an interesting, is this really a slasher movie or is this something else? Yeah, I don't know. And then you, you talk you talk about uh, we also tend to talk about um, subgenres within the slasher genre. <laughs> right. So, and I think the Hills Have Eyes definitely fit into that. You also got like home invasion films. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like Last House on the Left. Uh, and, and yeah, where so where do you draw the line? And and the fact is, a lot of these films do overlap with each other. So does does a slasher film have to have a human killer? um or and and if so what do we consider to be a human killer Mm -hmm. uh is it someone you know is it like mrs Voorhees, which is a a fairly fairly you know rational explanation for the murders right um or is it something like michael myers who there is a rational explanation but there are also numerous indications that that he's he's supernatural at some level Mm -hmm. um and and something like the hills have eyes where they are these are killers but they're also victimized right um and that and that's the other thing a lot of monster movies and and slasher films do actually make you feel sympathy with the killer Mm -hmm. because as you begin to learn more about their past and why they are killing um even though the the crimes do not necessarily fit the punishment a lot of the time you're like oh i understand the point here i understand why they're doing what they're doing yeah but then with the hills have eyes too like there's not the sequel like just the hills have eyes also um (laughs) they uh they're very conscious that what they're doing isn't right like they're they're not they're not just like these people that are acting on instinct or anything like that they they definitely are after this family and they know that what they're doing is wrong so it's kind of a I don't know. It's, it definitely does cross, I think, a couple of different subgenres. Um, yeah, that's one I was just I was thinking about. But um, yeah. to to go off of uh, in terms of talking about the final girl, I think that this might raise the interesting question of misogyny mm-hmm. uh, and and the issues that are intended with, with slasher films because the the rise of slasher films particularly so if you think about the history of them and you're saying that they, they essentially come out of these b-level or even just you know z-level exploitation films right um in the 1970s and they really come to prominence in the late 70s and, and into the 80s which is kind of when most of the films that we're talking about were produced right 
and the issue of the final girl and particularly female sexuality and the representation of women in slasher films is always kind of a, a thorny, thorny issue, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and definitely, I would say less so with something like Halloween, but more so with some of the, something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or, or some of the nastier, I guess, and more explicit kinds of slashers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. And like we were talking about last week with um, when we brought up the Slumber Party Massacre, um, that's one of the things that we were talking about too is like, um, oh my gosh, I just, <laughs> I just blanked Sorry. on his name. The, the producer. Um, Roger Corman. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like man that just went right out of my brain <laughs> but yeah that was that was what he was all about was like just make them bloody give us some nudity you know just make them enticing and i'll fund your movie and there were mm-hmm. so there was like so many of those and he wasn't the only one that was producing them but there's so many of those especially from like the late 70s into the mid 80s where that was i mean back when I was a kid or a teenager or whatever, when you could walk into Hollywood video and blockbuster, you go to the horror section and there's just tons of those, you know, it's just these really B movies from that time period that they don't really necessarily care if the story makes sense. The acting is usually terrible. The sound design has just really degraded. Um, And, but they're, some of them are still really fun to watch. Some of them are just like, oh my gosh, how did this get made? <laughs> but it was really just this, um, just kind of the, it was, it was just a really, it was like an easy moneymaker. It was a good way for young people that wanted to get into movies. It was like an easy way for them to do that without going right into porn. <laughs> so, um, it's really interesting, but you do have some that emerge that do have, you know, a little bit higher production value, um, compelling stories. They're made by better known people. And so they end up kind of just rising up to the top. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, and I mean, I think that a lot of the ones that we've talked about are kind of the the higher end. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, (laughs) Even, even though, you know, they're still fairly low budget, um, but they do a lot with, they're low budgets uh, and, and they actually have effective scares and things like that. I mean, I think, you know, and, and we mentioned briefly Texas Chainsaw Massacre, one of the things that bothers me about that film in particular is the dwelling on particularly the brutalization of women mm-hmm. um, and the torture of women. So very often the final girl, even though she's the one that survives, is the one who is the most brutalized yeah. Because she has to, you know, watch her friends die or she's, you know, constantly pursued and terrified or injured. Um, and that some that on the one hand, we're cheering for her to survive, but we're also kind of cheering for her to be hurt. And because that's part of what is entertaining about these films is that, you know, we're waiting for people to, to be killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and how they're going to be killed and what that's going to look like. And, and at a certain point, um, particularly considering that these films were made in the late 70s and early 80s, and that a lot of them are, uh, so a lot of them are being made in, in Reagan era America and during the backlash against feminism, there is this sense of like, we're trying to get back to this 
very conservative attitude towards um, towards sex and towards violence and towards particularly women that there's like this expression of anger almost coming out in some of these films about female autonomy, female bodies, you know, all of that stuff. That, that being said, a lot of this is also based in, like we said, some of these exploitation films, which are solely being made in order to titillate the audience. Like that's the whole point. It's just, we're gonna, we're gonna serve breasts and blood and that's what, we'll, that's what we're gonna look at because that's what sells tickets. It doesn't really matter why you're showing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's funny that you say that because um, the movie Halloween, the one that came out just a couple years ago, the sequel to Halloween, called halloween um not confusing at all (laughs) but uh (laughs) it frustrated me because i love laurie strode i think she's such a great character um i mean in the first movie she's this 17 year old girl who's babysitting and like i saw this movie way after my babysitting days were over but that was always like this weird constant fear that i had when i was babysitting was that like something terrible and scary was gonna happen um and it it plays off of that very well but um but laurie stored was a great character and in the end she ends up being like this you know badass girl and so when you see this new Halloween movie and it's 40 years later and she has become this like doomsday prepper and she has not been able to live a normal life. She hasn't been able to hold on to a relationship. Her, you know, her relationship with her daughter is not good. She's basically an alcoholic and it frustrated the crap out of me. Cause I was like, this is not the Laurie Strode that they left us with in 1978. And because uh, this is supposed to be like a sequel to the very first movie and pretends that none of the other movies ever happened. Um, but it's funny because like ever since then I've thought about it a lot and I'm like, but it actually does kind of make sense that going through that kind of drama is going to ruin your life and you're never going to be able to have a normal life, you know, after that normal relationships and stuff. So I haven't fully come around on that movie, but I definitely have a different appreciation for it now, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, re- I remember when it, when that movie came out and I went to see it. I enjoyed it. Um, I, I wasn't like, I don't think it's as good as the original, but it's it's definitely fun. Not. It's fun to watch. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it definitely had that element of like, well, so she so so she can so she can't escape from the trauma, right? It's going to characterize the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and that's that's an interesting representation. One of the things that I like, and we've talked about the Scream franchise a couple of times now, but one of the things I really like about the Scream franchise is that a lot of that is about Sydney trying to push back against that kind of thing of saying like, yeah. I am not going to let my trauma dictate who I am and dictate the rest of my life and she struggles with that mm-hmm. not least because the trauma keeps on coming back to get her right in various forms but but one of the things that that it's about is about her kind of being like no I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try not to be shaped 
by what has happened to me and, and something that none of which is her fault, you know, right. <laughs> that's the thing. Like none of what happens to her has <laughs> anything to do really with who she is as a person. It is, she's been targeted and mm-hmm. she continues to be targeted because partially because of the initial scream movie. <laughs> right. Um, and so, but I think that that whole series has a, a really interesting dialogue about, you know, that kind of thing that, that when, when you step away from just the meta narration of all of it, um, it is about this, this woman who's undergone massive amounts of trauma and her trying to find a way to navigate that and to not let it dictate her entire life and mm-hmm. to, to sort of, and to also say fuck you to the people who, the people, including the killer, who require it to dictate her entire life. She's not going to be um, defined by, her, by the killer. Yeah. There's a really good scene in Scream 3 where she's talking to her dad who, I mean, it's it's kind of funny that her dad's not more traumatized by what happened after his wife was murdered and his daughter has been attacked multiple times and almost killed and, uh, you know, other kids in town have been killed. But, um, but he's basically telling her, like, hey, hiding hasn't done you any good, so why are you still hiding? Like, come back out into the open. And, um, and I... I, I I, I hate that people say Scream 3 is bad, cause, or at least not that good, because I love it. I think it's actually really great. I think all of them are really good. Um, but yeah, that's that's one scene that I think is a really good one, because it's her, her dad doesn't have a lot of time in the movies, and the, you don't see a lot of their relationship, but whenever you do, it's like, he's just this really... Um, soothing like presence i guess you know and and i like that so it's something that you don't see in a lot of horror movies too i mean a lot of slasher movies because usually the parents are not around at all and you're like why are all these kids just running around without any adult supervision whatsoever? <laughs> yeah exactly it's just like so there's like a murderer on the loose and i don't know i would be worried maybe but that's just me yeah um yeah i I don't know it's 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 interesting i think that the scream franchise actually does really good job uh you know it it, it's so easy to get lost in like i say the meta narration of it and in the comedy of it and sort of the the thrill of the murders and everything and Craven is really trying to say something like it and it's not just about slasher films as slasher films but about how slasher films navigate these issues of trauma and the way that they can kind of allow their characters to move forward while still adhering to the tropes Mm -hmm. um and I, I really like that yeah yeah so what are some of your favorite scary movies Lauren what are some of your favorite slasher films? <laughs> uh, I do love the original Halloween. You know, I know that it's a really kind of base answer, but I, I do dig it. Like, it's a lot of fun. I remember seeing it for the first time, and it's just a good, scary movie. It's just really well done. It is frightening without... I, I don't feel like it goes too far at any point. You do see, you know, murder and blood and things like that, but it's never too much. Uh uh, so yeah, I love Halloween. I love the Scream films generally. Like like you said, I agree with you. I love the entire franchise um, as as a piece. Obviously, the first one is definitely the best one. 
um, in terms of just the structure and everything, but all of them are a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, I love those. I, and I think that at some point I'm going to make you talk about these films and watch some of them <laughs> because I, because, you know, speaking of, of films that we love despite ourselves, I really like Italian giallo films, mm -hmm. um, many of which are slashers. Like it's, they, they became popular for having like black gloved killers. Um, and so, so films like Deep Red or, uh, some of, um, Blood and Black Lace, uh, um, Bay of Blood, like all of those, they're so much fun. And they're so like, you know, we were talking the other week about when does it cross over to comedy? There are definitely some Mario Bava films that I've seen that, that I've been like, he knows that this is silly. Like he's kind of indulging in the fact that this is silly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do definitely like this. I also happen to like, and I don't know whether it necessarily Class, uh, classify as a slasher, but the remake of Black Christmas mm -hmm. is wonderful, and I adore that movie. Oh, so. I would say that definitely qualifies <laughs> as a slasher movie for sure. Um, yeah, man, there's so many good ones. Uh, you're right; I have not seen enough of the Italian giallo films. Um, actually, I was looking at a list, and I was like. I don't know if I've seen any yellow films. Although one list did include Don't Look Now. And I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah. I've seen that one. <laughs> yeah, you can, that that actually, that could be considered a slasher film. Okay. Uh, it's a very different, one. it's a very different kind of slasher film. But yeah, I think you could classify it like that. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, definitely my, oh, shoot, I'm getting a phone call. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Oh, Jazz is calling me. Um, anyway, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think Halloween is, it gets, it comes up in all these conversations because for so many reasons, it truly is one of the best. And I mean, it's the way that the, that Michael Myers is introduced, the way that you learn about him and who he is and what he does. The score is so great it's one of the best horror scores ever um and it holds up really well like no matter how many times i have seen that movie it still freaks me out and i love that it's great um and of course last week i talked a lot about the slumber party massacre which i stand by it's so fun um i watched it again last saturday after we finished recording i still haven't watched the other two but i'm definitely i need to um, but looking at some more modern ones, um, I, I mentioned this one last week too, but Happy Death Day, I think is a really good modern slasher movie. And I think that it's one that people, if you haven't seen it, you definitely should check it out because it's, it's, um, really well done and similar to Scream, it does have a lot of that meta, um, like awareness of what it is and so it's so because of that it's really funny but not in like a scary movie type of way where it's making fun it's not like a parody of the genre um but it's just really fun in the way that it handles the subject matter and um so yeah i definitely would say that one too um i'm trying to think of some other ones that we haven't talked about a million times would we um, consider Candyman a slasher film? I was thinking about that. 
Is that slasher? Is it supernatural? I mean, it's definitely supernatural. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I, unless, <laughs> unless we're going to f- find a rational explanation for a, uh, <laughs> a, a man with a hook for a hand who comes back and murders people with Cabrini Green um, and stalks, you know, blonde graduate students. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I think that an argument could be made of it as uh, for it as a slasher, given that you know it is it is one hundred percent. Does have a hook? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, mur- he does stalk and murder people. Like, mm-hmm. and there's a per- and it, it is you know if we're talking about this this issue of past trauma, um, part of the reason why he does it and why he is sort of condemned to do it almost yeah. is is because of of racial violence perpetrated against him so he's coming back it's always a really weird dynamic so he's coming back for vengeance but a lot of the people that he attacks initially are poor black people mm-hmm. um even though he, he's all he ultimately winds up stalking um uh what's her face i can't remember i can't even remember her name right now but blonde graduate student it's virginia madsen <laughs> but i can't think of what her name is in the movie <laughs> i can't remember <laughs> Doesn't matter. Yeah, but I I mean, I think that that's, and that's a much more um, high, high budgeted kind of slasher film. Mm -hmm. But so it it doesn't completely occupy all the tropes, but it fulfills a lot of them. Yeah. Oh, man. And I cannot wait for Nia DaCosta's Candyman. It's going to be great. Um, A couple other ones that I really like that are um, more recent ones Hush. I would say is a slasher movie on Netflix. That's the one. It's um, it's directed by Mac, Mac, uh, Mike Flanagan. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that one? Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that last year actually. I think on your oh, recommendation. Okay. Yeah, what did you think of it? I really liked it. I think that it's a good, um, you know, that's that's a good kind of in, inversion almost of the Final Girl in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've got this killer and, and, and this woman trapped in a house, basically, and a woman with a disability trapped in a house, and she ultimately uses her disability as a strength to, to, to defeat him. And I, I really like that, the, the strength that she represents within that film, while also reacting as I think any normal human being would <laughs> to yeah. being stalked by this crazy killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, and and the fact that she's deaf, I think uh, Flanagan as a director, he really uses that in some very effective ways that make it even scarier because we as the audience know what's happening way before she does. And um, it just, it that, in, that anticipation just really ratchets up the, the tension and makes it just so like, oh my gosh, how's she going to get out of this? What's she going to do? She doesn't even know that there's someone out there, you know, and it's, it's so well done. But another home invasion one that I would also consider a slasher movie, and this is actually, I think, to me, this is the scariest movie I've ever seen, and that is The Strangers from 2009, 2008, 2009. Yeah, I refuse to watch that movie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my biggest fear is a home invasion for no fucking reason, and that's exactly what that movie is about. <laughs> like, I remember just in the previews being so terrified because Liv Tyler's like, why are you doing this? Or why did you pick us? Because you were home. Like, ah, no, (laughs) it's so scary. (laughs) And it's so freaky. And it's so like, I've only seen it once, but it left a huge impact. Yeah. I've never seen that movie. Uh, (laughs) 
but but that that also brings up sort of an interesting issue. So a lot of the films that we've talked about are you know weirdly moralistic in the sense that there's a reason why the killers are doing what they're doing, even if it's a really skewed and confusing reason. Uh huh. Something like The Strangers, there's no reason they're nope. just doing it. They're, they're just, just monstrous people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's just this monstrousness to them, which. I think I feel like that has become more popular in more recent years because we're I maybe we're more not more accepting but we see more and more this kind of monstrosity that doesn't have a purpose yeah that you know and and in some ways slasher films are almost um comforting in the sense that there's a reason why things are happening right in in some later films they're not it's not comforting because there's no reason it's simply you know i'm simply a i'm simply a bad person you know the the killer is simply a bad person or um you know some you're simply being targeted because you happened to be there and that's terrifying mm-hmm. yeah exactly and and i mean I, I that's the thing i wonder like have those elements always been part of our society or is it becoming more and more of a problem where people just do things just to do them and honestly i think that scream four touches on that in that there's a reason why the killers do it but their reason is more it's not about any sort of vengeance it's well a little bit but it's mostly just about like hey I want to be famous and this is what you know this is what you do to be famous and so i think that there are more and more of those elements starting to pop up in in movies now because we're seeing more and more of that in real life not that we have people running around killing each other uh just to be famous although that does happen but um but yeah like the sort of this depraved indifference to other people yeah well, and I think it has come to come up at, at specific points in, in cinematic history. And there seem to be there. I mean, there are a number of different types of horror films. But one of the when you talk about motivations of particularly of human killers, um, you usually have either this motivation of trauma. Right. Mm-hmm. So something traumatic has happened in their past that then turns them into a killer or this eruption of monstrosity. Right. And and in. Uh, in one of the uh, um, courses that I took in, in grad school was talk about this eruption of the chaos world. So it is, there isn't a specific reason for it other than they're monsters and it's in their nature. Uh, and the second reason is very often more disturbing in its own way because there's no explanation for it. There's no way to kind of close it off and make it safe again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, well, if only we avoid this kind of trauma or if only we don't, do this kind of thing there then we'll never have these monsters no these monsters come out you know they're they emerge out of the culture they emerge out of the society and there isn't a solid comfortable reason behind them and we see that in uh particularly in, in post-war uh cinema you see that in the 1970s a little bit we're definitely seeing that now and so there are all these moments of why did you do what you did because because you know um and and honestly you kind of get that in halloween yeah why does why does michael commit his first murder because like why does he do it (laughs) that's true he's like this little boy you know Mm -hmm. yeah um well we did get a couple of questions and the first one i'm gonna actually 
it's two parts. So I'm going to ask the first part and then we can talk about that and then we'll come back around to the second part in a minute. But um, this is from at pause its paw. My question is how can future films prevent the trope that occurs in slasher films? So we've talked a lot about what those tropes are. So how can future films prevent them? Which I think first we need to talk about, should they prevent them? Yeah, I mean, if you, if you don't use the trope, if you don't use the tropes of slasher films, then you're not making a slasher film, I guess. Mm -hmm. Because you have to use it, even if you're going to subvert the trope, as in something like Scream or, or even the, the remake of Black Christmas or something like that, if you're going to subvert those tropes, then you have to have, you have to assume that uh, the audience is aware of them in order to understand why they're being subverted. Right. Well, and that's exactly why movies like Scream and uh, Black Christmas work is because they understand the tropes. Um, I mean, I think that's why Wes Craven's, all of his Scream movies are so good is because he understands because, I mean, he was instrumental in helping shape the genre in the first place. And um, I think that if you eliminate the tropes, then what do you have then you get into like the torture porn type of movies which is uh i mean some of those definitely fit into into this kind of like saw i would say is sort of slasher but sort of its own thing too for example i don't know um so yeah i don't i don't think that you can prevent the tropes if you did then then yeah, exactly what you just said. I don't think that you have a slasher movie then. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that subverting the tropes is definitely where we're at now. I think that's that's more of what what makes those movies more interesting now is to take those tropes and spin them or twist them in some way, give them new life, but not to completely eliminate them. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say? No, no, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Oh, okay. Um, so the second part of the question is, cast a slasher film with three actresses, either dead or alive. What would it be about and who will direct it? <laughs> I was thinking about this and I was like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I do like those sort of meta-narrational ones, so I would... And they actually did a movie together. I think they did at least one movie together, but I would love to see, and uh, I, I don't think it's going to happen, but I would have loved to have seen uh, Janet Lee and um, Jamie Lee Curtis. And then someone from like the 90s slasher period, maybe mm -hmm. someone like Nev Campbell um, mm -hmm. doing a film together, just, just to have that sort of Scream Queens kind of thing uh coming together and having like oh you know all of these women who've been traumatized they like band together to <laughs> beat to you know destroy the killer or something like that um and yeah i mean i i think that i still think that some of the best slashers were still made by wes craven and john carpenter and uh you know again not gonna happen but to have Wes Craven direct them, I think would be great. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm just imagining Wes Craven directing a movie with Jamie Lee Curtis and, <laughs> and Janet Lee. Yeah. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, I would like to see Sophia Tikal direct another 
slasher movies. She's the one that directed the remake of Black Christmas from 2019. Um, so I'd definitely like to see her do another one. I really liked what she did with that. As far as who I would cast in it, um, I don't know. That's such a that's such a hard question. Um, there are so many great actresses. I would love to see. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I would love to see like something real fun with Pam Greer and like I don't know. Trying to think who else. That's a hard one. That that is a hard one. I feel like we don't have particularly contemporary actresses. We don't mm -hmm. have those same kinds of horror film icons in, in quite the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, that's hard. But but yeah, that's my main thing is, is I would just love to see Sophia to call direct another one. Because I think she has a, a good eye and I, I like I like her subversion of those tropes. And really I love the way that she pissed off men <laughs> and was so brazen about doing it. It's great. <laughs> she yeah, that film really did just go like, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> like, uh <-huh. laughs> like the entire thing. And I was like, oh, I know why men didn't like this movie. <laughs> I yep. completely understand. <laughs> exactly. It is, it is Yes, All Men, the movie. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly, exactly. Um, well, we did get another question. Um, this is from Eduardo at EA Gigante. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that wrong. I'm sorry if I am. Uh, can you talk about how some directors ruined their movies with unnecessary third acts involving slashers? I'm thinking of Danny Boyle's Sunshine and Dave Franco's The Rental, among others. I like slashers, but not when they are used because of creative bankruptcy. So I have not seen Dave Franco's The Rental, but I am going to disagree about Danny Boyle's Sunshine. Um, I think that there was very much a purpose for what happens in the third act of that movie and whether it worked or not is a different conversation but i don't think that it was for no reason and i don't think it was because you ran out of ideas of how to do it and i think in a way it actually makes it more of a monster movie not a slasher movie but um i don't know what do you think did you see sunshine i have not seen sunshine or the rental so uh my commentary is very general i'm trying to think of other films that that so so it seems like the idea is that it's one type of film for a while and then it turns mm -hmm. into a slasher movie yeah right and but i'm trying to think of, of other films that pull that and i know that there are some other examples yeah i i was trying to think of some other ones too and i can't um i mean i i don't think again i think that as I, it's, it seems like the issue would be if there if that kind of thing is shoehorned in mm -hmm. that it 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 runs to a point like i don't know how to continue this film so i'm just going to you know turn it into sort of this trippy horror film right um and i think that anytime a film pulls that kind of thing that where where it is shoehorned in then you know there's there's no point regardless of what it's using mm -hmm. uh but i'm i'm honestly struggling to think of other films that try that yeah well i will say this about sunshine 
because um, I've actually I've heard that um, that opinion before. Um, Sunshine is a movie that is this very uh, sort of. It starts off as sort of this quiet sci-fi film where you've got a group of people. I think there's seven of them. Chris Evans is in it, um, and Killian Murphy and Rose Byrne, and I want to say Michelle Yeoh. I'm trying to remember who else but um anyway so it's this group of scientists and it's set somewhat in the future where basically the the sun is dying and so it's causing the earth to it's caused the earth to freeze and killian murphy plays this nuclear scientist who has developed this basically giant nuclear bomb that they're going to take and throw into the sun cause this nuclear reaction that's supposed to basically jumpstart the sun and save the planet and they're they are the second mission to attempt this there was another one seven years previously that didn't accomplish its mission and just kind of disappeared and so it catches up with this group somewhere a couple months into their journey and uh or maybe even a couple years i don't remember but um they pick up a distress signal from the other ship and they have to make this decision do we carry on with our mission or do we go try to find out if they're still alive what happened to them can we help them whatever and when they make their decision it causes this kind of chain reaction of problems and so definitely in the third act there is sort of an element of slasherness to it but i feel like it has point and i don't feel like it was just oh i don't know what to do next so now we're gonna have this guy going after this person you know or whatever and like i feel like that was the movie that danny boyle was trying to make all along and so it i liked it it worked for me and i thought it was really interesting um i can understand why other people had a problem with it but um because I don't think that the whole, I don't think the movie was just like this, or trying to be kind of this environmental type story, or or even just a lonely people out in space kind of thing. I think that it really was sort of this, um, like, monster horror movie to begin with. I think that's what it, what it was intended to be. Um, but, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I like it. All I'm beginning to think of right now is the the episode of The Mandalorian, where um, I think it's when they're they're on like the they're he's they're supposed to liberate someone from a prison, right? Uh-huh. And and the one of the bounty hunters is like trying to find Baby Yoda, <laughs> and the way that it plays out, I I remember watching that being like, this is like Baby Yoda in a slasher movie. <laughs> and because he's like stalking the other guy and he's like oh who's gonna get him so, and that's like all i could think of <laughs> sorry i, love I was it. just like what if the killer is baby yoda <laughs> anyways that, i think that that just says where my mind is at probably it's a twist. <laughs> yeah well um i think that's yeah I think that's about it. Anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, no, I think that there's like a lot of, uh, I, I feel like slasher, slasher films have kind of gone out of vogue 
recently, um, but there, I have recently been rewatching a whole bunch of 90s slasher films, which are so like, they're so PG-13. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but at the same time, they're a lot of fun. Like, I kind of enjoy that. Like, the I, I know you did last summer are very much like, you know, teen horror novels or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I really like that because uh, it's sometimes it's just sort of nice to be like well it's not going to be that much you know blood and guts and violence and anything it's just going to be like a killer stalking these teenagers and honestly teenagers sometimes need to be stalked in films so. <laughs> it's true it's so true and yeah and I think of you know movies like I know what you did last summer urban legends is another one yeah it's like these uh these movies that they f- they followed the scream formula where they're kind of these meta movies about you know people that know horror they don't pretend that horror movies don't exist in other places and um and they actually use that and they use the character's knowledge to um make it more fun and make it a little bit more um intense or whatever mm-hmm. and and I, I i enjoy that too I have, to, I have to say, I saw the original Urban Legend, and um, like partway through it, I was like, "Okay, this is one of those movies where I want everyone to die." Uh-huh. Like, I would just like <laughs> all. I cannot wait to see these people murdered. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it was it was surprising to me because most of the time you're like, "Oh, I at least like one or two. So like, nope, I want them all to be killed horribly <laughs> and in like the worst possible ways. Let's just let's just go for it. I am on the side of the killer on this one. <laughs> so true. it's so true and it doesn't necessarily get better with the sequels either (laughs) they're just really unlikable people but i think that's part of why they're fun i guess so (laughs) but that opening scene i think it's the opening scene of the first one with the whole like person in the back of the car like yeah the guy trying to warn her (laughs) oh man i like that because it was like that was one of my biggest fears um when i was younger and we actually had like my reason for being afraid of that is based in real life because um when i was like 18 my best friend was over at my house and we were hanging out and she went to leave she was driving her mom's minivan and she went to leave she was parked like there was this dirt lot across the street from our house and she would always just park in front like on the edge of the street in front of that lot and um i think there was a fence around it or something anyway so uh normally i would like kind of walk her to her car or whatever but for some reason this one particular night i didn't and she just kind of walked outside and a couple minutes later she's screaming bloody murder and running back toward our house and my brother runs to open the garage door i run to open the front door and she comes running in she's like there's someone in my car there's someone in my car and um when my brother opened the garage door he could see her feet you know like because she was running past the garage but then he could see another person and um i'm telling you swear this is absolutely true this happened um anyway so what had happened was she got into the van and she had 
you remember when CD players used to not come standard in cars? Are you old enough to remember that? Yeah, I, I, am. I am. Okay. Um, so, and like, so the, they would, you know, you'd install a CD player and then it had the removable faceplate because, you know, people were stealing them. It was very common to do that. So you just take off the faceplate and then no one can like get your CD player or whatever. So she had done that and she went to put it back on and she saw something look wrong and then she looks down and she noticed that she had like a box of cds in between the seats and it was knocked over and she's like oh that's weird and then as she was looking she saw a foot <laughs> that did not belong to her jesus christ yeah and she turns around and there's this guy and he sits up in the back seat and she somehow like just reflexively or whatever we're not really sure how she needed to do it but she locked the door of the like she hit the door lock button jumps out slams the the door and runs to our house and we think that that's why she ended up being okay because just locking the door momentarily slowed the guy down enough because then he had to uh -huh. unlock the door to get out of the van to come after her and so we, um, yeah, so we called 911 and the cops came. I mean, we had like the helicopter circling the neighborhood. It's nighttime. It's like 930, 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And they're circling with the searchlight and everything. They never could find the guy. But that incident traumatized both of us forever. And it's like to this day, I never get in my car, especially at night without looking in the back seat, just because... I have actually had, you know, I've actually seen this and it, yeah. So that opening scene of Urban Legend was like, oh my gosh, that could totally happen. <laughs> so. That is terrifying. That yeah. Is Jesus Christ. Yeah. And the police think that what had happened was he was just trying to steal the stereo and she interrupted him. And then, mm -hmm. then he like freaked out and was just trying to shut her up. But, um, but who knows? Who knows? And that's, they that's never so, found them. So that's still really terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yep. It was years before she could get into a car by herself at night. Like when yeah. she would leave school, if she had a night class or whatever, she would make security walk to her car. Everything. Yeah. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, thank anyway. you for that terrifying narrative. Uh, no problem. <laughs> Aren't you glad you live in the city and don't drive that much? <laughs> I actually am probably going to be bringing a car back to the city. Jeez. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Driving right. that lonely country road all the way back by yourself. There, yeah, it's not a lonely country road. It's a three-lane oh. highway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I picture you living like like your parents are out in the middle of nowhere and i mean kind of yes but the the new york state thruway is about a 15 minute drive over oh, okay. you know roads there is a, there is a city about 10 minutes away from where we live and everything <laughs> i have no concept of where you are and what <laughs> new york looks like <laughs> literally literally the the dead center of new york state if you were to take a map of new york state and put your finger in the middle of the state you would be more or less over my hometown so yeah. very cool now you've just told everyone where you are well they know it like i <laughs> post about it on social media and shit so it's not that's like true. this is a secret <laughs> that's true good luck to you anyways thank you for those nightmares karen um <laughs> uh, oh 
that's so fun anyway well thank you all so much for listening we appreciate <laughs> it so much and we appreciate everyone who supports us um, with your ears and with your dollars special thanks to our patrons heather adriana michael james katie carriata mason matthew michelle monty nanina nicole robert sharon steve tau and will thank y'all so much uh if you would also like to be counted among them you can join our patreon patreon.com slash citizen dame uh and with that you get early access to episodes um you get bonus episodes when we do them and i promise we've got some more bonus content coming i promise i promise um we also have our ko-fi which is co-fi.com slash citizen dame so if you don't want to commit to being a patron you can always just send some cash that way we also have our zazzle store so you can buy some merch get yourself some face masks zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod and we also love to hear from you and you can reach out to us lots of different ways twitter and instagram are great citizen dame pod at citizen dame pod sorry um we do have facebook although facebook is evil and i don't know we still have it but whatever facebook.com slash citizen name really advertising that one aren't i <laughs> we also love email you can email us citizen dame pod at gmail.com and be sure to check out our website, citizendamepod.com, where Lauren has been writing about the New York Film Festival and all the cool stuff she's been seeing this week. My review of The Trial of the Chicago 7 is coming uh, very, very soon. I was trying to write it, and I was just really struggling to put into words how much I like that movie. So, um, yeah, so that's coming. Uh, I'm also, in a couple weeks, going to be covering the AFI Film Festival, and some of my coverage is going to be at Citizen Name, so uh, look for that, too. Lots of fun stuff coming our way. You can also reach out to us individually. Lauren, where are you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at LHBusiness. And I am on Twitter and Instagram at Karen M. Peterson. So thanks so much. We love y'all, and we will catch you later. Fucking nightmares. Name the movie that started the slasher craze. Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Last House on the Left, or Psycho? Psycho! None of the above. Peeping Tom, 1960, directed by Michael Powell. First movie to ever put the audience in the killer's POV. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. Please, just ask me one more question, just one more. All right, Kirby. Then it's time for your last chance question. Name the remake of the groundbreaking horror movie in which the villain... Halloween, uh, Texas Chainsaw, Dawn of the Dead, The Hills Have Eyes, Amityville Horror, uh, Last House on the Left, Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street, My Bloody Valentine, When a Stranger Calls Pop Night, Black Christmas, House of Wax, The Fog, uh, Piranha. It's one of those, right? Right? I got it right. I was fucking right.